It was after my freshman year of high school, and my neighbor came up to me and said, hey, do you want to make some extra money? And the answer to that question was, absolutely. And he said, great, I've got some landscaping projects that I need done. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. I had no idea what I was getting into, no idea. And so he took me around his backyard and showed me all the areas where he wanted to replace the grass that was around the trees and have those dug out and edged and then have mulch put in there and, and then a, a reworking of some of the other beds that he had in the front yard. And so I went about and I got all of the edge work done one day and then we were ready for the mulch delivery. And at that point in my life, I had never seen that much mulch be thrown down onto a tarp. And uh, there was a shovel stuck in it and uh, a wheelbarrow. And he said, have fun. And uh, have fun, I don't know that I did, but I do know that the next, what seems like 10, what seemed like forever, but was 10 hours, was spent filling up a, a wheelbarrow full of mulch and dumping it and walking uphill. And it, it didn't matter what direction you were going because when you were going downhill to the backyard, you had to hold on to the wheelbarrow really tightly so that the wheelbarrow full of mulch wouldn't, be, wouldn't get away from you. And then when you had to go uphill, you had to, I mean, it's an empty wheelbarrow, but you still had to push. And after 10 hours, you know you're exhausted when you're a teenager because your body starts to hurt because you've never experienced anything like that before. I mean, now I get up too quickly in the morning, and I'm reminded I have back. I have a back because I have back pain, and uh, people are like, "Oh, just wait! You have no idea! You have no idea!" But that was the very first time in my life that I'd ever experienced anything like that. Was even realizing I had a body because my body hurt, and I'm sweating and I'm tired. And after ten hours, I look over the corner of my eye. And I've, I've got about 25% of the work left to do, and I'm just spent, just spent. And I look out of the corner of my eye, and my dad's coming up the hill in a tractor with a cart. It's like, you need some help? I'm like, that would be great. He said, you know, jobs like this always go better when you're working together. And we knocked out the last, the last part of that job in an hour. And it was so smooth, and it was awesome. And it's a lesson that's always stuck with me, that when you work together, things go so much smoother. It didn't, it didn't hurt the fact that we now had a motorized tractor and cart also available that my dad had been using for other projects during the course of the day. But he came over. And he helped me accomplish more than I could accomplish on my own. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at something we're calling Better Together. And what we're saying about that is this. Whether you realize it or not, you need others in your life. Now, some of you are extroverts, and you understand this. And this has been a really, really hard year. This has been really tough. And you just... you just are energized by being around people and the level of energy that you get from being around people it just energizes you and makes you feel alive and some of you are introverts and you're like you know this year hasn't been that bad it really hasn't like yeah there's a couple things going on but people leave me alone I don't have to leave the house kind of nice kind of nice even you 
Even you, no matter how introverted you are, even you have been designed by God to live within community. Whether you realize it or not, you need others in your life. That's why God's design is for those of us who follow him especially to live in intentional community. Communities that encourage and support one another. Communities that help each other along the way. That pick one another up during the hard times and during the darkest moments of life. That's what we're going to see over these next couple weeks. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to join us. So we're going to be looking at uh, some of the last verses of Acts chapter 4. In your Bible app, you can go to the events feature, and you can follow along with us there. But we're going to, Acts gives us a great picture of the early church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. So take the message of hope that you have, a result of everything that I've done for you. Take that message across the world. Take that message to all people that they can have hope as a result of a relationship with me through what I've done for you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers followers of God. Then Acts 3 and 4, we start to see the building of the church and that's where we're going to be looking at today in Acts 4.32 where we read these words. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and one soul. Different people, but so unified that when people looked at them, they said, you know what we understand about these people? They're, they're unified. So unified that numerous people could be described as being of one heart and one soul. And at Lakeside, that must be our aim as well. That we would be a collective, but we would also be so unified and so focused on our agenda of helping people move one step closer to Jesus and reaching people who are far from God. That yes, we are different, but we are of one heart and one soul, united by our common faith in our Savior Jesus. This must be our aim. This must be what we go after. But how can we be unified when we have so many different backgrounds? And how can we be unified when we have so many different life experiences? And how can we be unified when we're less than 60 days away from an election? Like, how is any of that possible? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of steps. Step number one, choose to believe the best. Choose to believe the best. You have a choice. Every day you have a choice. Default so that your choice is to choose to believe the best in people. Doesn't mean you're going to see everything eye to eye, especially when you don't. Choose to believe the best in that person in spite of the fact that you disagree about things that you feel passionately about. Still, choose to believe the best in them. Second, talk to people, not about people. Talk to people, not about people. This is one of our core values as a staff here at Lakeside, and this drives everything. Like, you're never, you're never going to hear something about you from us. You're going to hear something from us directly. But we don't talk about people. We talk to people. We talk to people, not about people. 
And as such, this, this needs to be something that, that we all put into practice in our lives. That we're not going to say anything about anyone that we wouldn't say to them and that we haven't yet said to them. We talk to people, not about people. And then the third step that you can do in order to be unified is disagree without becoming disagreeable. Disagree without becoming disagreeable. These are three practical steps that we can put into practice in our lives to maintain and protect our unity. Because we, again, we have different perspectives, and we have different life experiences, and we see things differently. We have different opinions, and all of those things. But these three, these three steps will help us and enable us to live the most unified way possible. That people would look at us and say, yeah, they're different, but they're united. And, and they, they are there for each other, and they love each other, and they're of one heart and one soul. And why is this so important? Why does being unified matter so much? Well, the verse continues. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They had everything in common. They were unified in that they were of one heart and one soul. And practically what that looked like in the outpouring of their life is they were irrationally and incredibly generous. They were irrationally and incredibly generous. And how, how is that possible? By understanding that everything you have, by everything you have, is not yours. You are not an owner of anything. You are a manager of that which God entrusts you. But this foundational idea that everything we have is something that God entrusts us with and isn't ultimately ours, it, it just makes it possible for us to be irrationally generous. And until we understand the fact that none of this is ours, I mean, your, house, your name might be on the deed to the house. Your name might be on the title to the car. But when your time's up, you're not taking it. It's not yours. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. Everything we have, we are managers. We are not owners. In the next two chapters of Acts, we see incredible ways that their generosity was modeled. And I'm telling you, the only way that this is possible is when you have the understanding that what you own isn't really yours, but it's God's, and ultimately everything is his. And so we are stewards and we are managers, but we are not owners. The next two chapters of Acts, I'd encourage you this week to read. They're great, and they give us this idea of, of just how generous they were. And this brings us to the point that you cannot be a follower of Jesus, you cannot be an active follower of Jesus and not be generous and feel okay in your soul. I mean, it's possible to follow Jesus and not be generous, but there's going to be something in your soul that is unrest and there's going to be a prodding in your heart where you know things are out of balance. And that's because God in He's designed us all to be generous. And in the outpouring of all that he has done for us, we should live generous 
lives. And what does that look like here? That they are practicing, the early church is practicing generosity and they're meeting the needs of people. They were able to be generous with what they had, understanding they were managers and allowing people's lives to be impacted in a great way as a result. Verse 33 says this, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There is power when God's people are unified, and there is power in the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for my rebellion and my sin, for my mistakes, and for yours. He died on a cross because the price of my sin is death, and that's a physical death which we'll all experience, but it's a spiritual death, eternity apart from God. And Jesus came and paid the price for my sin and my shortcomings and my mistakes so that I could have a restored relationship with my creator. And the apostles are going out and they are boldly proclaiming this hope of Jesus to all that they encounter. And there is great power being shown on them as the apostles were proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the verse continues, great grace was upon them all. God, great grace, God's favor shone brightly upon them. This is what I need in my life. I need God's favor. I need God's grace. And I want God's grace to shine brightly upon me. And at Lakeside, we want the same thing. We need the same thing. We need God's favor to shine upon us. Then we read these words in verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Understand, this was the rule. This wasn't the exception. This level of generosity that they experienced, understanding that everything they have is from God's, and ultimately they've been the recipients of the most incredible gift ever, God's grace through Jesus' work on our behalf. And so their natural response is the outpouring of all that they have because God's grace has changed every part of their life. And this is the rule in their community, rather than the exception, that these followers of Jesus were so generous that they met the needs of people. Now we come to some implications that we have to wrestle through, and we have to really tear apart and understand what's going on here. There, there is, in a segment right now, there's a segment of people who, who want to attack anybody who's wealthy. They want to attack anybody who has resources. There's a segment of people who's decided it's their job to define for everyone else what enough is. And so they will decide when somebody has too much. And it's incredibly dangerous. For a few reasons. 
Let's think about the implications of this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. You can't sell something if you don't own something. And you can't own something if you don't have the money to buy something. This is not an attack on success. What this is, is it's just a reporting of the fact that people who were incredibly successful were able to be extraordinarily generous. Don't begrudge somebody who's successful. Don't begrudge somebody who's wealthy. Now, all of us, all of us who follow Jesus need to be incredibly generous. We all need to be incredibly generous. And all of us who follow Jesus, we need to determine what our target is. Because what's enough for me may not be enough for you. And what's enough for you may not be enough for me. And that doesn't mean that one of us is right and one of us wrong, is wrong. It just means that God's desire, He's designed us differently. He's given us different passions and desires, and that's okay. The problem comes when you don't set the target for what is enough, and you need to set that target before you're there because you'll never arrive there. People have tried for as long as the world has lasted, and if you don't set in advance the target for what you're aiming at and what is enough, you will never be satisfied because no one in the history of the world who's tried to define enough in the moment has ever been successful. Everybody has wanted more. So define your target before you get there and determine what is enough and understand that what's enough for you is going to look different than somebody else. And that's okay. Don't care. Don't care what anybody else thinks. As long as you're at peace with it and your relationship with Jesus and you're being incredibly generous, then set your target and celebrate that fact when God blesses you. And don't worry what anybody else thinks. It's none of their business. Nobody else knows your heart. Nobody else can see. But you need to know what you're aiming at. And you need to determine what's enough. And you need to, you need to determine that knowing that you need to be incredibly generous every step of the way. Here are people who are incredibly successful and they're able to be incredibly generous as a result of their success. Don't begrudge people who are wealthy. Don't judge them because their lifestyle looks differently than your lifestyle. What's more is the implication is for generosity, not a form of communism. Don't misunderstand what's going on here. The followers of Jesus still had homes. Acts 12, 12 tells us that. They weren't selling all of their homes and becoming homeless. In fact, the early church met in homes. Acts 12, 12 tells us that there are still homes. There's a great story in Acts 5, and we don't have the time to break it down today, but it's of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira have a big piece of land. And they sell it. In the process, they decide, 
That went for a nice price. And we should keep some of this. And they go and they give the apostles the money, but they don't give them all of the money. And they aren't upfront about that fact. See, they want everybody to think that they've given all of the money, but they've held back a portion for themselves, which means their act isn't wrong in that selling a field and keeping some of the money. That's not wrong, but what's wrong is their motive in being deceptive and wanting attention for the wrong thing. So Ananias goes and he gives the money, and he lies about the fact that it's not all the money, and God says, thanks so much for the money, and strikes him dead. And then his wife lies about it too. And so she gets to go meet her maker as well. God didn't strike them dead because they kept some of the money. He struck them dead because of their deceptive motives. Acts 5.4 is the key to that story. Be incredibly generous. Generosity is the expectation of all Christians. It's the expectation of all Christians. And Acts 4 concludes with these two verses. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He gave out of love. He gave out of love. And what was the means of this? How does, what does this look like? And, and what operational methods did they use? Well, they understood foundationally that everything is God's and we're just managers. And they loved, they loved people as a result of Jesus changing their hearts and working in their lives. And so they wanted to bless others because they had been blessed by the work of God in their hearts and in their lives. And so they gave to the church. They gave to the church. Well, why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of what Jesus had done for them. But number two, so they could continue on with their lives. It was the church's role and the church's responsibility to vet the people who would be receiving the contributions. This frees up the people who were making the money to go make more money and not have to do all the vetting. It was their responsibility to be faithful with that which God had entrusted them, and they were. And then it was the church's responsibility to do their due diligence and make sure that they were good stewards of that which they had also received. And so we see later on in Acts that originally this was the role of the apostles. The apostles had to do this. But deacons were actually created because this got to be so labor-intensive that people needed to spend their time just doing this. Because not everybody who claims they need help actually needs help. There were con artists. There were lazy people. 
There are people who would try to abuse a system for as long as the world has existed. And they, they existed here in the early church as well. And it was the early church's job to vet people and make sure that the help went where it was most needed. That was their responsibility. Now let's think through some more practical implications of this. The early church didn't look much like the church in America today. And that's not, that's not a criticism. That's not a criticism. I know some people romanticize the idea of the early church and, and they beat up on the church of America today. That's not a criticism at all. It's just things have changed. Especially this year with social distancing and everything, you know, having to take the message digitally. Things have, things have changed. They've changed quite a bit. In the early church were house churches. They were churches that met in communities, but they met in people's homes. So this idea of being unified, that looks different when you're talking about 30 people versus 200 or 300 or 3,000. This idea of meeting the needs, it's being done in a way, in the early church, where everybody knows everybody's story. Everybody knows what's going on in people's lives. People are enabled to be more connected and engaged. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the way the church functions today. In America, it just means that it functions differently than the early church. But we still have to understand that God has designed us for community. And to be invested in each other's lives. And that's why we announced last week's small groups. And today, I'm going to spend just a couple more minutes going over all the different offerings because it is imperative that no one lives life alone, that nobody feels isolated, that nobody feels alone, and nobody feels like they have to go through life alone. Because the early church, it functioned much like our small groups do today. And so, ladies, on Monday night, we had a night change. On Monday night now, a digital group. Get out of your own head. It's a study all about taking captives the thoughts that you think and making sure that they're beneficial, but more importantly than that, making sure that they're true. Making sure that they're rooted in truth. And that's available for you on Monday nights digitally. On Tuesdays, we've got a bunch of options available. On Tuesday night, here at the church, for anybody in the band or anybody who's, who's an artist or passionate about art, Derek, our worship arts pastor, is going to be leading a, a study called The Heart of the Artist. And it helps artists investigate the passions that they have and why God has wired them that way and how best to serve Him. 
the unique gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given you. On Tuesday night, digitally, there's a study that talks all about following God's plan of finances. Maybe you really want to be generous right now, but you're broke. You can't be generous if you're broke. You can't be irrationally generous if you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. And so we're offering a, a digital study, Financial Peace University. There's a cost involved with that. It's $129. And I know you might be scratching your head like, uh, paying to learn about getting out of debt. Yeah, me too. I don't know. But what I can tell you is this. There's a lot of great resources that are tied in with that for the next year through all of, all of Dave Ramsey's stuff. And if cost is what's going to prevent you from doing that, don't let it be. Reach out to us and let us know, and we will figure out a way for you to be in that group because we so believe that when you follow God's plan for giving, for saving, for spending, he frees you up and he blesses your life in a way that enables you to be incredibly generous to other people. I'm going to be leading a group on Tuesday nights that's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the emphasis is that it's impossible to grow spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And it talks all about looking at every aspect of our emotions and every aspect of our lives and making sure that we're growing closer to Jesus. Digging up some of the things that happened in our childhood and looking at all the different factors that have turned us into the people that we are today and why we operate in the way that we operate and really looking at that. On Wednesday nights, there's going to be student groups. On Thursdays during the day, there's going to be another study for ladies. This one's in person here at the church during the afternoon. Get out of your own head again. On Thursday nights in Kiwani, there's a study that's at the Crow House being led by Gordy called Not a Fan. It's all about making sure that you, as a follower of Jesus, that you understand what it really means to follow God. And on Thursday nights here at the church, there's going to be a couple study for, for married people called The Art of Marriage, led by Ned and Mary Noah. Because being married's great most of the time. And there are some times where, if we're honest, we just say, I would rather not be married today doesn't mean you quit. doesn't mean you throw in the towel. It just means you're human. And it means you're having a good day, but your spouse is having a terrible day, and you don't know why they can't figure it out. Because you never have a bad day. They just do. But it's all about rediscovering the joy and growing closer in following God's design in marriage. I want God's favor. I want God to, to give us great grace. And in order for that to happen, I'm convinced we have to operate as a community. A community who loves people. A community who loves Jesus and grows closer to him and helps people discover the hope that is only available in a relationship with Jesus. 
community that walks through life together in the good times and the challenging times, a community that's incredibly generous, understanding that we've been given the best gift ever through what God has given us through the work of His Son, Jesus. And we got to be unified. We all have one heart, one mind, one soul. Point at that same thing. It was May, and I was spreading mulch at our house. The boys weren't feeling well, so Brooklyn was inside with them. And our house defies logic. There is no way you can go downhill when you're doing yard work at our house. I promise. Every, every way you go in our yard is uphill. There's no way to go downhill. I, push, I had a push mower for over a year, and, and you just push uphill. You, you don't get to go downhill. It doesn't work that way. I was filling the wheelbarrow and spreading the mulch, and hours later, still wasn't done. And I looked up, and there were our neighbors. Rick and Jan by our driveway. Rick was on his tractor with a cart hooked up in the back. And they said, you want some help? I said, yeah. And I remember what my dad taught me. It's always better. That's how God has designed us. So if you haven't yet, you need to sign up for a small group. You need to be invested in the lives of others. And you need to not be isolated or go through life alone. God, I pray that we would be people who live connected lives Pray that we'd invite people into our lives to share the joy and the hardship. I pray, God, that we would just be a source of encouragement for people to walk through the great times and also the valleys. Lord, I pray that you'd shine your favor upon us at Lakeside that we would proclaim your name without apology, and we'd see people discover a relationship with you. I pray, God, that we would be incredibly generous. And I pray that we'd be connected. Take us each of us individually and use us collectively. Mold our hearts, mold our minds, mold our souls so that we would be seen as one and we would accomplish much for your glory. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.